podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices, do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota hybrids. Find yours at toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, see why 2000 through 2021 sales. It's the Blue Room, it's your weekly show, uh, lots to talk about, not much positive stuff to talk about, admittedly. Uh, nevertheless, we've got three great guests, three guests that are very happy to be on the Blue Room today. Sarah Halpin, how are you, Sarah? I'm, I'm doing all right, Matt. I'm feeling a lot better, I think, now that, that that awful season has come to an end. I'm still pretty sad about Baines, though, but... Uh... I think that pain's going to last for a little while. Other than that, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, Paul McPartlin joins us as well. Paul, how are you? Yeah, all good, Matt. Yeah, I echo service sentiments. And uh, I think I'm surviving by just wiping last season from my memory. <laughs> we're going to have to talk about it in a bit. So if you've not, uh, <laughs> if you're not completely wiped it. And uh, join us for the first time. Um, great to get him on. It's been, been a long time coming, to be honest. Max Carlisle from, from the Toffee Blues and loads of other different places. Uh, Max, thanks very much for coming on, mate. You're very welcome. I'm I'm glad how, to be here. How are you doing? Doing all right. Um, as you say, yeah, that that season was um, one best forgotten, isn't it? And you know that um, the news of Baines, he obviously retiring afterwards with a proper body blow. But you know, I think with football, you, you just, you've got to cast your mind to the future. Yeah, and we'll we'll start off with Leighton Baines because it is probably the, the most positive thing that we can speak about. Certainly, reflecting on his career, and I'll come to you first on on this one, Max. Um, I suppose it's, it's two different things. This isn't it. There's a, there's a side where you can look at it and say, you know, what a footballer he was for everything for so long, so consistent, so much quality. And the other side is whether he should have retired or not, uh, whether he could have done a job for Everton next season. But just just looking back at, at Leighton as a player, I mean. How special is he for, for someone like you? You know, similar age, similar generation. He's, he's been a constant, hasn't he, for a lot of Everton's? Yeah, most definitely. And I, um, I saw the the article released today by Andy Hunter, which was titled um, "He was the ego-free Evertonian," which I think hits the nail on the head perfectly when you sort of summarise and Leighton Baines. In all honesty, once obviously once the news broke and you, you had a bit of time to, to reflect on it, I feel like he deserved so much more from his career. You know, a, a player of that talent, both technically and athletically, as you say, for my age group, I'd say only, you know, a young Wayne Rooney would be up there as saying, you know, the best player to play in an Everton shirt, really. Um, well class, in my opinion, yes, most definitely. Um, 420 appearances, the only Premier League defender to notch over 50 assists. Um, and anyone who tries to play down the, you know, the, the quality of Leighton Baines, I'd urge them to go back and just watch clips of his, of his best bits because he was simply magnificent at times. Um, 
especially down that left hand side with Stephen Pienaar, as we know, uh, that that partnership was holding in really high regard. And I'd say there was a time in the early 2010s when we boasted the best two fullbacks possibly in European football. The the threat that they posed in the prime, Leighton Baines and Seamus Coleman, and yeah, it, it's a massive shame to to see him hang up his boots. But I suppose one take on it is um, it's good to see him leave as cool as he was when he played. He'd left on his own terms. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what, Sarah Max is right there. If you went on YouTube and typed in Leighton Baines, you would get a, a reel of great free kicks and you know great, great assists and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's I think for, for us who've been watching this lad for, for so often down the years and you know, seeing him in the flesh at Goodison Park, it, it's not just those things for me. It's the, the little cutbacks to the edge of the box that he used to do. It's the way he used to time his burst forward. It's the way he linked up with Stephen P and R. You know, it was it was the energy he showed and the consistency he showed. And I think as Evertonians we we've been quite privileged to see those sorts of things as well, in addition to all the spectacular moments. Absolutely. You know, when you when you're watching the players you said every single game in the flesh, you, you get a different perspective. As you said, everything that he did off the ball as well was equally as impressive. And as I said the other day, for me, he's the best left back of a generation and I stand by that fully. You know, a lot of people will say it's Ashley Cole. I think for me, it is Bainesy. And that's not because being an Evertonian even, I just think as a footballer, he, he was everything. Um, desperately, desperately sad to see that he's retired. And, you know, just on the game... On, on Sunday as well you know the first thing he did was that immense tackle on Callum Wilson that looked to be a cert on goal you know and it was just like he can still do all that as well um, and just uh, like Max said before about him being a, a, the ego free football I think that is that's spot on um, one of the coolest people in football and you just know that everything he's ever done has been with the best interest of Everton Football Club um, and well, I would have, I would have really liked. I think we'd have all liked to have seen him give it another year. But you know, as Max has said as well, it's on his own terms, isn't it? That's kind of the thing. No fans there. He just kind of bows out. Um, but yeah, what a footballer! And just genuinely privileged to have been able to spend half my life. Baines has been at Everton Football <laughs> Club for half of my life, and you know, when you're like old, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel old, mate. <laughs> But no, it's um, it's really, really a sad day when you see him leave. I think he's the last one of a, a kind of generation that he, he, you know, that banner, he's one of us, Leighton Baines. And, it, and it, it's true, he is. And um, I hope that we see him back at Everton Football Club, you know, in the future at a different capacity, maybe as a coach or whatever, because he's someone that you certainly want to see around the place, I think. Yeah, but in the same respect, it wouldn't surprise you if he just, you know, slung his guitar over his shoulder and was never seen again, wouldn't it? But, Walked into you know, the sunset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and Paul, you know, you're, you're of a different generation of Everton to us. You're lucky enough to see Everton actually win things and be successful <laughs> um, in the past, which, you know, we're, we're all very jealous about. And, for, you know, for, for us, it's, you know, Leighton Baines is a generational footballer. He's a modern-day Everton great. And I think, you know, I don't want to put words to Sarah and Max's mouth, but I think we, we would see him as that. Um, do, do you think the same when you look at, at, at Leighton Baines? You know, do, do you consider him to be an Everton giant and an Everton greater? continue with that terminology? Yeah, I, I, I concur with, that, with what Sarah and what Max has said completely. I, I think Leighton Baines, his skill has transcended the, gen, the generations, you know, in, in terms of that, that 
that left back position in terms of players I've seen. I mean, Pat Van den Hal possibly came close, but he was a different different type of defender. Uh, so certainly, at the late veins would have fit into any of those teams of the eighties or you know the one that won the league in nineteen seventies. And I think as Sarah and Max have both said, it's uh, it's Baines the footballer and Baines the person. I, I, I think he comes across well in both respects. I always remember when Gary Neville first started on Sky Sports on the Monday night special and uh, he was asked the question, why did you retire? And one of the games he referred to that made him retire was when Pienaar and Baines tore him apart when he was playing for Man United against Everton at Goodison. He said, at the end of that season, I couldn't keep up with those two. I realised it was time to pack it in. So that kind of gives an indication of how good Baines was. I think if you look at the uh, those that double free kick against West Ham in September 13, we put one free kick on the right-hand side, one on the left-hand side. Not being done at Goodison's and Sheedy in the mid-80s are absolutely brilliant. And in terms of, of how he is as a person, I mean, you know, he, he came out in that League Cup game against Leicester when there was no hope left. And, you know, there wasn't a, you didn't think he was going to add anything in the last 10 minutes. And he comes up and scores a brilliant goal to level the tie in the last minutes of the 90. Absolutely superb. Unlike the modern football, Baines doesn't have a brand. He's not always trying to push himself forward. He, he's not always sponsoring things. He's not, he's, he's not part of the media circus, which I quite admire about him. He's just cool in, in his own manner. He's probably the coolest ever some places, Pat Nevin, I would argue. <laughs> Although maybe Rob, maybe Rob Sawyer would argue, maybe since Roy Byrne, I don't know. And one thing I always loved about Baines as well, although he's such a good footballer, he always had that inkling of self-doubt about himself. I recall the time you know, when he almost was asking, why am I being picked for England? I'm not quite good enough. And I think you kind of identify with that as well. So great footballer, uh, transcend any generation, and also a great person off the pitch as well. Yeah, I think I think that that's a, a great point. And it, it wasn't just the England thing as well. You think about his, his penalties and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, it, it felt like... As soon as Romelu Lukaku came to say, I, I want to take the penalties off you, he was like, fine, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, to, to give this responsibility away. And he was happy to help a teammate. But I suppose those sorts of things, Max, are what, are what made him so relatable for us. You know, like, like Paul said, he's, he's somebody who's got interest away from football, like most people who, who go and watch football have. You know, but we're not completely wedded and welded to the game like a, a lot of modern day players. He is fallible. He does have those moments of, of self doubt. And I think that that's probably elevated him above a lot of players who may have hung around for, for a while and maybe not necessarily, you know, receive the acclaim he has. But I think that, that edge to his personality is, is, is certainly, you know, ensured he's held in higher esteem by Evertonians. Yeah, sure. And uh, I mean, I don't know, w- with him retiring, it very much feels like a, a pattern of the guard and a real moment of change for this football club. I, um, I've seen the, the image going round that a few of the former players have been posting the Saying uh, there's only one remaining, where there's the kind of lineup from the uh, the peak Moyes era. Um, that that photo makes it look like they're all dead. I saw the club put it up and then took it down straight away, and I can, I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only, um, only Seamus Coleman is obviously there now, but yeah, 100%. It, I think the, the, the point that Paul made, the fact that he's not involved in the whole sort of the social media era. Um, only adds to his character, um, him being sort of introverted, keeping himself to himself. And, you know, if if there was one footballer I'd like to come out and write a book, it'd probably be Leighton Baines. I'd love to hear the, the perspective of someone such as himself on the, on the career that he's had and make no two ways about it. He very well 
could have left Everton Football Club and, and gone on to win major, major honours um, in the plenty. Um, I don't know. It, and that, for me, it, it's a real shame because he certainly deserved it um, at many levels. I, I just want to ask Paul as well. Would you regard Leighton Baines as a legend? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I mean, legend's a very overused word, isn't it, Max? It, it can be applied to all sorts of people for you know, even one-off events. But I think if you look at Leighton Baines' consistency during his time as Everton fullback, if you look at, look at the, uh, the length of his career, I think if you look at what he brought to the team as well, and I, I would say there's a really strong case you know, for saying he's definitely up there amongst the Everton legends, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we, we were yeah. speaking about this on, on a show we did earlier this week, and it's sort of, I think it was Mike, Mike Diasha made the point that if we want to have legends again, we've sort of got to change the parameters of what Everton legends are because we're not a successful team now, we don't win things. But when you've had a player who's been, you know, like, like Sarah said, world class for a large portion of his Everton career, you showcase that consistency, showcase that quality, showcase that durability. Let's not forget, right up until the end, you know, potentially his last kick of a football for the for the football club. I think I think he, he's got to be in there, and I mean that's that's the great thing about about later, isn't it, sir? You know, this season he was parachuted into the team in some difficult situations. You know, I, I remember him coming on at, at Old Trafford when Luca Dean went down injured, and we had a, a scratch team out that day. Holgate was playing in midfield, um, and you know, United were playing Daniel James on the right hand side, and I sort of thought, you know. Leighton Baines coming on here in this situation, it's not ideal for someone of his, of his age now. And he, he just slotted in and, and dealt with him like it, like it was nothing. And as Paul said, you had the Leicester game and the United game before lockdown. He made that great tackle at the back post to save a, a certain goal as well. And, and right up to the end, he was, he, he was there doing it. He was. And, you know, I think every single Evertonian will feel the same way and that it is, it'll always be a travesty that he never won a trophy with Everton as a player. Um, that generation, you know, the, the, the Baines, the Pinars, the Kales, etc. You know, the fact that man didn't get, get to lift the trophy with Everton, it is something that's always going to bother me, I think, to be honest with you. Hopefully you'll come back and do it as a, as a manager one day. Do you think uh, that'll bother but, him, Sarah? Do you, do you look at him and think that'll be something that irks him? Because I, I think Paddy and Greg wrote a piece in The Athletic saying that, you know, he shed tears in the, the dressing room after that Leicester game because he sort of felt that it was going to be his, his last chance of winning silverware with the football club. But that, that sort of thing has never really struck me as something that really motivates him throughout his career prior to that point maybe no and you know maybe it's it's came to him like dawned on him that that could have been his last chance and especially given that he missed the penalty but was the one to score that brilliant goal to you know uh, get us in with a chance again and it was a, a night under Duncan Ferguson as well at Goodison under yeah. the lights it was emotional for all of us but I remember reading that and I had a little tear in my eye thinking how sad, you know, that, that this man's never won a trophy with us. But um, I think the kind of character he is, he'll probably take more pride. I mean, I, I don't know. He might be devastated that he's not won a trophy, but I think he'll take more pride in the fact that he's given so much to this club and the adoration and the love that he has from and respect from everyone associated with the football club and the wider footballing world. Max said it before as well. You know, he's, he, he had opportunities to leave um, I know Manchester United uh, continually wanted him when they were right at the top as well teams like Bayern Munich but he stayed loyal to Everton um, and he, he's a legend in his own right for, for that as well I think that he, he was a sort of well I know Wigan but a one club man if you like in that sense he, he's a blue he's one of us and um, yeah maybe he won't be too fussed about it but I will I know that I think I think he really really deserved to, to win a trophy with Blues. 
And, and turning this forward a, a little bit, Paul, it's, you know, this is a team this season that's, that's looked devoid of, of you know, the right sort of attitude. You know, I think we saw that again on, on Sunday. We've certainly seen it a lot of times since the lockdown. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote a piece this week sort of saying that I hope one of the, the, the parts of Leighton Baines' legacy is that, you know, players aspire to be what he was in terms of his consistency and his quality. And, you know, you saw Seamus Coleman this weekend interview with the club, didn't you? Say that in training every day, Leighton Baines was the, the best player. You know, he, he still wanted to set those standards around Finch Farm. And it, it is a little bit of a worry, isn't it? That, you know, it feels as though we've, we've lost one of the, the leaders in the dressing room. And not a leader that's going to beat his chest and bellow out and, you know, come back in with the Terry Butcher headband on, but somebody who, who set standards and was always wanted the ball and always did the right thing. Yeah, I think that is a concern, Matt. And I think you, you use the term leader there. And I think clubs have different types of leaders. And if I imagine you know, Leighton Baines, when he's doing the training routines, he's just impressing everybody with his commitment, with his effort, with his determination to be the best he possibly can at all times when he wears the blue shirts. And I think we're really going to miss that. We're also going to miss as well, I think, someone who the fans identify with because I don't think the moment the fans identify with a great number of the current Everson crop. And Leighton Baines, as the banners often indicate, you know, clearly is one of us. He was a blue. He's from the local area. And uh, I, I always liked it when Baines came into the team last season because I just felt... I'm all fascinated. I like the idea of having at least one scouter in the team, at least one someone who's come through who is a blue has supposed to club all his life is now playing for that team. So undoubtedly, we will miss Leighton Baines next season. I'm not sure whether he will take on a coaching role or not. I'm not sure if that's a natural fit for him. I, I, I don't. He ha, has never quite come across that sort of person to me. But undoubtedly, we will miss him, and uh, I think we'll miss his influence. It, in the change room, we miss his influence on the younger players. Well, because I'm sure, like to Tom Davis, you know, and uh, Anthony Goddard must look at Leighton Baines think, yeah, that's the type of player I want to be. Whereas they must look around the training ground and see all the players think, I don't want to be like them in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. Uh, look, we'll, we'll move on from Leighton Baines then. Uh, unfortunately, we've got to talk about some. Some more difficult topics. Um, I'll, I'll come, come to you first, Max. I was going to ask you a difficult question about the season. Just say, what are your thoughts on it as a whole? But I imagine we'd be sat here all day. It's been, it's been absolutely insane, hasn't it? I mean, um, just what were your feelings after that, that game on Sunday? You know, I think we were all quite relieved it, it's over. But it's, you know, do, do you feel glad that we could draw a line on it and potentially push forward now, or, or do you look at the squad, look at you know the short break we've got, and feel a little bit concerned about what's to come still? Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially um, with the sort of the uh, the short term measures that have been made, and you know the uh, limited transfer window. Uh, we've got to uh, simply put, we've got to get to work straight away with the with the, the group of players that we've got. Um, on the season as a whole, it, it's very very strange. I, I would say, obviously, you know, I'm relatively young, but I think this is the the first time since arguably wartime where like broader societal issues. Of sort of made football pale into in, in, insignificance, really. Um, but in Everton's regard, it, it's very very strange to think we started this season with Marco Silva, isn't it? It, it just seems like a seems an absolute lifetime ago. Um, and you know, it, it was a shame he couldn't build on the on the strong finish to to the season prior that he had. Um, obviously, it looked like we had some sort of chemistry going with the squad towards the back end of that season prior and it, it just simply wasn't the case going into the start of this season we just looked flat uh, and void of any sort of I don't know attack and intent and 
that I think that was epitomised by um, obviously his final game, that being the uh, the big defeat at Anfield, yeah. which left us just above the relegation zone, and that simply put is not good enough for this football club at all. It's simply not good enough, and it it was fantastic. Obviously, the how the way Big Dunk reinvigorated us in in his approach, and then you know that ability for the supporters to to finally identify with the club again. I think Dunk went a long way to to ensure that happened and I thought it was fan, fantastic obviously on the the football club to be to be half to appoint someone like Carlo Ancelotti to to speak volumes of their of their ambitions for the future but I think now as Carlo surely found out in regards to his um the squad at hand he, he's got a lot of work to do yeah, I think if you look back at the season as a whole, Sarah, obviously appointing Carlo Ancelotti was, was magnificent. Great to see Richarlison, Carver-Lewin and Holgate press on. But you know, in, in terms of a highlight, I think Max is right. You know, For me, that Chelsea game with Dunk on the sideline, Old Trafford away when he comes you know, to, to the away end, that, you know, being in the crowd that day was, was fantastic. You know, We didn't quite win the game, but it was just a, a great experience. That, that late in base free kick, I mean, it, it was just... It wasn't really structured. It wasn't really, you know, it was always going to be lightning in a bottle, but it was just a really enjoyable spell of matches in a season that was otherwise underwhelming, wasn't it? A hundred percent. You know, I remember the atmosphere in the ground at full time in that Chelsea game and throughout from start to finish, actually, with Dunk coming in, you know, suited and booted on the touch lines, giving it limbs, screaming at the players. He had the watch on the wristband <laughs> and all that. And it was just surreal. You know, it was it was so so miserable under Silva for, for months. And I think, to be honest, it, it felt like it could have happened a lot sooner that he went. Um, as it happens, it was meant to be because, the, the, as I said, the sacking of uh, Ancelotti by Napoli and the rest of it, um, had that happened earlier, maybe we'd have ended up with someone else in. But yeah, the, the highlight has to be that Chelsea game. Hearing the fans again, seeing the Gladys Street bouncing, the players and the and the fans seem to have that connect again. We... It, it's the like whole cliche, isn't it, of the you know big family kind of thing? But it did. It, we, we felt that again. It had been so sick of going the game and just feeling angry and just being a crank and everyone else being cranks around me and that. And you know, it, it felt like that was gone. And there was a real sense of we're going to be okay. Like we're going to be okay. There's, we are still here. We're still ever. Dunk's um, got it. It's fine. Yeah. Dunk's got it. He <laughs> saved the day and thank goodness he did come in and do what he did. And now, you know, we've got Ancelotti and it's obviously going to be a very different relationship to the one that Dunk's got with the supporters. But I think he really gets it. Um, he likes it. He likes it. His, his relationship with the fans already. He loves the city. Um, but he's made it very clear that Well, Sarah's microphone's just gone. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get her to fix it shortly. But um, yeah, Paul, I think it's... it's oh, you're, you're there now. We've got you back again. Can you hear me? Sorry, my mic's playing up. Yeah. I, I do, re- do apologise re- about that. I thought you just got too emotional talking about this incredible season then. It just couldn't oh, it's, it, it has been emotional. No, I'm just saying, <laughs> I think um, it's still an exciting time. Ancelotti, he loves it here. It's a, It's a really exciting time, but... I love what he's been saying in the in media as well. He's making it known, look, I need the money. Like It's my job to bring the club forward, but the, the board as well. And what we've seen from the squad, especially in the, the re, since the restart, it's just not good enough. Um, and although it's been miserable, I'm very excited to see what this manager can do if he gets the back in. And let's hope he does. Yeah, I think Sarah used the word there, Paul, uh, surreal. And I think... 
if you went back to that, that first day of the season when we were at Crystal Palace, admittedly in, in last season's kit, that was another weird thing that happened this, this season, wasn't it? We didn't have a kit ready for that first game of the season. Makes it feel even longer. But someone had said to you before that game that um, Duncan Ferguson's going to take charge of a win over Chelsea and Carlo Ancelotti's going to be your manager by the end of the campaign, which finishes in July, by the way. Let's not forget that. Um, <laughs> you would have been, you know, you would have been feeling a bit strange about all that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, nothing would surprise you about Everton, to be fair, over the years, Matt. But yeah, that, that scenario would never be envisaged. I was kind of thinking back to the start of the season. I think Sarah might have been on, on the programme as well. It was before we play, played the first away game with Villa. And at the time, you know, we, we hadn't conceded any goals in two games. If we'd won at Villa, we would have gone top. Everyone's really optimistic about our chances. You know, the team, and as Max has said, we finished the season brilliantly on the silver. We appear to be going in the right direction for the first three or four games of the season and then it all went wrong with Villa and just sadly went down since then like Max and Seth have said I mean the um, opponent of Ferguson for the Chelsea game to me was the hardest of the season it was the best atmosphere of the season and it, it was the right appointment at the right time to give the club a boost which just so desperately needed for me um, I was massively underwhelmed by our performance in the Cups game particularly the League Cup to me that's always one trophy we should be going for and I know Seth told the story there about Leighton Baines or was Max said that he, he was crying in the, in the change room after that defeat and I totally understand that and the less ever our FA Cup humiliation the better and I really just one thing I hope for for next year is that we really try to have a decent cup run you know um, the last one was on the Martins wasn't it you know when we got to two semi-finals in 15-16 so mm. I, I'd love, love us to have a cup run obviously love us to improve in the league as well I think Ancelotti you know if the players can't perform for him well who, who can they perform for and looking back at last season as well uh, I think our recruitment's the, the the people we brought in didn't make a significant impact on the performance of the team. And as Max indicated before, our recruitment this summer has got to be spot on. And it's got to be a case of bringing players into fit Ancelotti's system rather than bringing names in and seeking a final payday at Goodison. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree with you more there. Uh, I'd forgotten a bit about that FA Cup game against Liverpool. But <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the idea for me. Just found another way, ridiculous way to lose a Merseyside derby. I thought we t- checked all of them off, but, you know, Everton or Everton. Uh, we'll take a quick break, uh, then we'll have a quick chat about Charleston's quote. Uh, a little bit worrying for some. We are back on the Blue Room, uh, part two of the weekly show. Sarah, Max and Paul are joining us now. And we were just speaking there in the break about Richardson speaking to trying to find out where these quotes came from and, and, and the man of, I'd say, the, the person in this call with the most culture, the most worldly knowledge, Paul Hartman, <laughs> uh, told us all about it. Uh, where, where did this, this come from, Paul? Yeah, well, my understanding is, Matt, that uh, it, it came from an organisation an organization called O Globo, which is a, a daily newspaper in Rio de Janeiro and obviously has, has a massive sports section as well. And they also had their own sort of a media broadcast channel as well. And my understanding is both Fernandinho and Richardson were guests on their show, and that's where the interview took place. Ah, there we go. Maybe Fernandinho was trying to tap him up for Man City or something like that. In that in mind, <laughs> just yeah, just just drop a few hints in this interview, and you you know Pep might come call in the summer. You know, <laughs> but uh, just as a re- refresh, I'm sure people see these quotes, but in case anyone hasn't or isn't as I've heard them before, uh, basically. Um, he was asked about conversations he had with Carlo Angelotti and Richard said, it's all been talked about. He's already told me he's counting on me for another season. He's asked me to hold on for a bit. 
know, it all depends. If a good offer were to come in, we sit down and talk. That's part of football. We're still talking about these details, working things out. He's bringing in new players, so we'll sit down and talk. But I think I can hold on for another season. Um, so you could have sit down and talk a lot there, Sarah. So it feels like there's a, there's a chat to be had between Richarlison and the manager. I mean, everyone feel free to jump in with the thoughts after after Sarah here as well. But um I think we all know these sorts of, you know, we all sit here and say we're not going to maybe keep Richarlison for long if we don't carry on. You know, he's probably going to be looking at a bigger move elsewhere. But while it's one thing saying it, when you see the, the player himself come out and say it, it's a little bit more jarring, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And look, we, we all see it all the time on Twitter and stuff. People sharing pictures of him and going, oh God, this lad's going to break our heart one day. And, you know, we sort of feed into it ourselves in a sense. He's He's been absolutely fantastic um, this season. I think we've seen him grow so much over the last two seasons, particularly this time around. And yeah, you always fear that you're going to lose your best players if, you know, we've just finished 12th in the league and we were, let's face it, pretty abysmal for, for major parts of the season. And he says all the right things, though, Richarlison. It's just a few days ago we've seen him say he wants to go on to be a great at the club. And, you know, I do believe that. I think sometimes these quotes can get a bit... You can you can be, you can can buy into them too much. I think what he's saying is it, it makes sense, though, you know. I think he does love it at the club, but he is he's doing so fantastically well at the moment that... You know, obviously, there are going to be massive teams coming in, the biggest and the best coming in and probably offering him big money, offering him the chance to win trophies, play Champions League football and the rest of it. And, you know, he's a young lad still. He's 23, or, you know, but he's going to, these are things he's going to want to be doing and deserves to be doing. We want it to be at Everton. Um, and I think that what he's saying is that, yeah, we'll see what Ancelotti does in this summer, with the players he's going to bring in. And I think, by the sounds of it, he will give it another season. But I think it's probably just sort of sounding out that threat almost of, look, we need to book up or I'm, or I will move on kind of thing. And yeah, you hear it from his mouth or from this Brazilian newspaper program or whatever, then <laughs> it does start to worry you a little bit. But my honest opinion, I do think, um, I do think we'll still see him at the club next season. It has to be a priority, but um, let's just hope we start bringing in players that are going to match that ambition and, yeah, because what we've seen is is nowhere near good enough. And if we were to lose him now, I mean, where would that leave us? You know, so um, you try not to worry too much, but it's not ideal hearing these things coming out. Now. Uh, what, what did you make of it, Max? Simply put, can you blame him? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's fair enough, isn't it? Like he, he, the lads pulled his weight this season. I think he, in his in his in his years playing professional football, I think that this season was his best return. Fifteen goals and I think forty-one appearances, all comps. And he he's been the, the standout performer, arguably. I know we. I think in terms of um, sort of career arcs, I think the most improved player is probably Dominic Calvert Lewin. But in terms of consistency, Richarlison's up there. Uh, you know, as Sarah said, 23 years old. Um, for a lad coming over from Brazil, obviously he had a spell at, a spell at Watford. But, you know, I think that if anything with Marco Silva, this is something we can we can be thankful for, the fact he's brought this lad in. Because the way he's conducted himself, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, has been amicable. Like, he's been fantastic. He's brought into the club. And he's been an absolute joy to the likes of the fans. And he's proved to be a real role model, I feel for uh, some of the younger fans, which is lacking from this group of players, in all honesty. He's one of these players that seems to take accountability 
wears his heart on his sleeve at times and it's really what you want to see. Um, and I think that's a, you know, that's something that Ever- Evertonians demand from their players. And at the end of the day, as Sarah said there, a 12th place finish, is that good enough? No chance, not at all. Uh, a club the size and stature of Everton, Everton Football Club, we've got to be competing in Europe if you want to keep hold of these top, top players or as Paul alluded to you earlier, and I think my preference would probably be, I want to see us lift silverware, put a good cut run together. That's what you've got to do to keep hold of this top talent and attract top talent from around the world. So, as I say, I, I genuinely can't blame the lad. You can see him in a few years' time wearing the stripes of Barcelona or, or whatever it is they may be. Um, and that would be the case if Everton don't book up. Hmm. Paul, what did you make of him? Well, I mean, if you were to go, and that's a nightmare scenario from an Everton point of view, um, I, I, I'm dreading next season already, that's the case, to be honest, because he, he's been our standout player this season and I'll be last season as well. And for somebody so young, he's adapted so well to English games. We often read about it takes players time to adjust, etc. He's almost fitting from day one, which I've been really, really impressed with. He's also dealt really well, I think, with the next criticism you're getting from the media. I mean, I was outraged on Sunday when Jamie Callagher made that remark, but every time I see him, he's on the ground, he's falling down. It was totally out of order, particularly you know, from someone who, who praises Salah for doing the same week in, week out. I thought that was just totally outrageous. I've said um, enough of Carragher commentating on our games, to be honest. She's like, every time there's <laughs> oh. got the telly on. It's, it's, the, it's the worst thing about not being at the match, having to listen to him commentate on Everton games all the time. But it, it, it's, it's the worst combination. It's the Matthew Everson performance and Carragher's commentary together. You know, <laughs> it, it, it just piles the agony on consistently throughout the 90 minutes. Um, I think, you know, he's 23. You know, it, if you're 23, a footballer, and a bigger club comes in with a massive offer that's going to guarantee you Champions League football and honours, you're going to give us some serious consideration. So, you know... I, I'll be glad when the transfer window is closed because I couldn't see him moving in January. But I, I am concerned for this transfer win, for window in particular. One thing I would say about the, the source, I mean, we know how things get lost in translation. I know, uh, you know, uh, Brazilian Portuguese is a world removed from European Portuguese. And then there's, there's the twist sphere which, which, which twists and turns what they think they've heard. So, you know, I'd like to actually listen to the show to see what he actually said because... You know, these things can, as things set up, because I can just be misinterpreted and too much weight to be put on them. But as Matt said, who could blame the lad if he wants us to go? Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's totally agree with everything you're saying. And I suppose one, one of the, the fears about this for me, I, I'll come back to you first on, on this one, Max, is that it, it's, not the, it's not the fact that he's going to go, because I think every football club in the world, apart from maybe three or four, Lose the best players up the food chain. You know, look look what Liverpool have done with you know, this whole Coutinho and he built a good team on the back of that. It's it's that next part for me, which is probably the most concern in, in regards to not necessarily Everton being able to go out and find a direct replacement for him because I don't think it always has to, to work like that. But using the money we get from a potential big sale like that, being 80 million, 90 million, 100 million, whatever, to improve the rest of the squad because the recruitment down the years has just been so bad that it feels like we'd have that money. And we'd sort of do, do a spares in 2013 after they, they sold Gareth Bale and, and you know, spunked all their money up the wall. Yeah, the, that's a fantastic point. And I think a, a great case of that at the moment is, is look, we sold Adrissa Gay to PSG. And, you know, similar to Richarlison, when PSG come calling for Adrissa Gay, I, I hold my hands up and I, I was thinking, you know, who can blame him? The, the performances that the lab was putting in um, fully merits 
to go and play at the elite level in football. And look at the situation that Everton are in now. We're after a player of the exact same mould of Adrissa Gay. So, <laughs> yeah, that completely justifies your point and just sort of points the finger, if that's the correct phrase, at the likes of Marcel Brand as the director of football and just the, the, the department of player recruitment. Who are we going to bring in that justify or sort of replicate the, the levels that Richarlison has reached? Because it, it's very, very hard to identify or even exactly if you're not in European football to attract just that level of player. Um, so, yeah, of course, there, there are huge questions to be asked in, in regard to, to the recruitment. But I don't know. I just think a point that, that needs to be hammered home is come on, turn off in cup competitions and be competitive in the league. And that will be, it'll make the club more appealing for these, play, for these players who have large followings on social media and who have bright playing careers ahead of them. Yeah, and I think that that in itself so feeds back into recruitment as well, doesn't it? You know, if if we have a good summer this summer, you know, Marcel Brands brings in some players that you know improve the team, and we're on upward trajectory next season under Carlo Ancelotti. If all of a sudden we do sell Richarlison for a hundred million next summer, all of a sudden there isn't widespread panic in the fan base about what's going to come next because we've had a good window. This window coming up now. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we, as you rightly said before, we've spent so much money. Was it five hundred million in the past four? Oh, God, really? I think it's something (laughs) like that since Mashiri's come in. It's an obscene amount of money. And, yeah, what you'd hate to see is get big money for the sale of Richarlison and and not know how to spend it. And, you know, but as you said before, you've seen them lot do it off the back of selling a big player and build a team. So um, I would like to think, though, that we get to see Richarlison stay for at least another season. I think... We've got to give Ancelotti, you know, this is Carlo Ancelotti. And I think the the closed season, the six months, if you like, not not even this restart, the six months we've had him for, has been like a massive extended pre-season for him, really. Um, he's working with players that just shouldn't be here and won't be here. Uh, get them done. Recruitment's got to be spot on this summer. If we can get good players in and keep Richarlison for at least another season, build a team and, you know an actual team where everybody is for this manager. Because that's the thing we've got spoken about it time and time again, Matt. We've got so many players from different managers and stuff. And there isn't a team spirit. It does seem very clicky and everyone's got their pals and not everyone necessarily likes each other. We need to start, you know, start again. And um, this is is a huge summer. But yeah, fingers crossed, all being well. Richarlison will still be there come the end of it and I do believe that he will be I hope I don't end up with egg on my face for that one but I, I, think, <laughs> I think he'll still be an Everton player yeah he, he said he said he's going to one more season at least anyway so so certainly um, we did ask for a, a couple of questions we've had one not so serious and one quite interesting which is coming <laughs> which is coming during the show so you guys haven't prepared I'll have to put you on the spot uh, first of all the, the non-serious one Jonathan Jonathan Gard has said uh, what's the best way to cook rice? Um, anyone got any tips there? Um, I mean, it's not more interesting to talk about the toffees at the moment, probably, to be fair. In Half the a cup of rice. Go oh. on, sorry, Max. In the microwave. Don't mess about. Do you, do you, do you, go, do you go for the pre-packed ones, yeah? Yeah. Uh, see, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big bag in, the, in a pan, water on top sort of rice cooker. 
Same here, but it's it's so hard to get the right amount in it. You either end up with way too little or enough to feed the whole neighbourhood. So, um, yeah, I think I think Max is probably right there getting them. It's all it's all you've got your portion control then, haven't you? You know what I mean. You don't yeah. end up with any rice disasters. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to shut up now. I, 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 sorry, Sam. I'm going to go with Max on this cooking question. I, I think he's right with with, with the microwave option. Uh, I don't know if I can say this at the moment, but you know, if you buy a pack of Uncle Ben's rice, it's still cold. That isn't it. Put that in the microwave, then that's your problem solved for you. you know, easy peasy. Why make like you, you, whatever tone is, why make life even more difficult for ourselves? <laughs> it is. It is one of the, the hardest things to cook. It's mad. And if you leave it a little bit, you burn the bottom of the pan. Or, or so it's maybe me and you need to graduate into this new world rice order, Sarah. Get on the get on the, the free pack stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to get me Uncle Ben's. I'm going to fill the cupboards up now on these uh, <laughs> Paul's info there. Uh, get, 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 get the blue packs, there. Uh, they always work. <laughs> all, all blue, always blue, mate. Always blue. Of, of all of us as well, Sarah is definitely the one who wouldn't have anything red in her house. Absolutely. <laughs> it's no, no tomato ketchup for you. You know that. Not unless it's blue, mate. Not unless they do a blue version. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one question we've had, it's, it's something actually, um, it's from um, Mr. KJ Banks on Twitter. It's sort of been speaking to him about in, in DMs for a while. And it's, it's in regards to, I'm sure you've all seen this, Liverpool have been putting a lot of murals around the city effectively since they, they won the, the, the league title, of course. There's been the clock one in the, the Baltic market for a while on, on the wall. Uh, there's one on Bold Street, which has just gone up, I think, which has been done by Nivea. I uh, walked up there the other day and, you know, look the other way, couldn't even bring yourself to do it, sort of at, at the backs of all the players. Um, and obviously, it was, I think it's Redman TV, who obviously are the you know, YouTube fan channel. They recently put up one up by the ground of Jordan Henderson, where there's already a Trent Alexander-Arnold one, which the, the Anfield Rap did. And I suppose the, the ones around the ground, you sort of understand. But, you know, it's, it's a question that's been asked in regards to, Everton have enough presence in the, in the city centre when it when it comes to this this sort of thing. Um, I'll come to you first on, on this one, Max. I mean, do, do you want to see Leighton Baines, you know, maybe spray painted on the side of um, you know, <clears throat> Salt Dog Slims or something like that? Would that, would that make yeah. you feel a little bit better? Well, when it comes to to murals, I think you need to be fully justified in your reason for immortalising said person. And you know, as much as it pains me to say it. The Reds are within their own rights to sort of immortalise a squad off the back of winning the Champions League and the very first Premier League, first league in, in 30 years. Um, it just sort of, um, you know, it makes you laugh at the thought of us flashing uh, that Roberto Martinez mural up at the, uh, <laughs> up, at the up, up at the ground after after one good season. But three that scarred us for life. Possibly, we, we've always been a, a, a club cursed with misfortune haven't we so I think that's just another example but I don't know as I say I think you need to be justified in your reason for putting you know a sort of mural up in, in regards to a player and I don't know I think it just goes back, back to the point that I always say when, when talking about Everton just win something and then we can talk yeah but just to stick with you on this one Max maybe not necessarily a mural but when you walk around town, do you feel as though Everton have got a presence there? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something spray painted on a, on a wall or something like that. Do you, do you feel as though more could be done to, to have Everton, like paraphernalia, if you will, you, you could call it, just knocking around town somewhere? I would say so. I mean, in regards to L4, I think we've got obviously got a fantastic presence in L4, but in the in the city centre, um, 
when you see the sort of market stores where people are selling badges uh, and scarves, I've always felt up until arguably last season, obviously where they won the Champions League, it always did sort of feel 50-50 in regards to the the products that they were selling. But yeah, I mean, uh, that that is a good, um, that's a a sort of good point. I think obviously Liverpool, um, obviously a very proud city and football is just ingrained in its culture. Um, I would have loved to experience the likes of the 60s and the 80s when we were on top of the world, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I would like to. I'd, I'd like to think one day I'll be walking around and uh, there'll be spray paintings of, of future Everton captains holding trophies. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Mason Holgate on a wall somewhere, maybe something like that. Would be <laughs> nice. Be nice. What about what about you? What about you, Paul? Do you get that sense when you when you're in town that Everton exist? No. Uh, it goes on. Is 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 Matt? I think Max points out there that the street stores more and more these days are selling Liverpool uh, paraphernalia rather than Everton. And it's, it's one of my my big worries is that I think if you look at Barcelona as a city, Espanol are non-existent. Everyone search Barcelona with Barcelona. You, you mentioned Espanol. Not even know, most people don't even know where they play anymore. And I think we're getting to that stage with Everton, worryingly that lots of people outside the city don't actually know what Everton what we are, what we've done, what our history is, you know. When sometimes you hear fans like Leicester City fans chant, you, you, you never won F all at Manchester United. We've won the league nine times, you know. Our heritage is tremendous, but to the modern football fan, Everton are almost off the radar, and that really, really does concern me. And uh, I think, as Max said, that we need to, need to make more of a thing about our heritage. You know, I would love to see something in the city centre, proudly claiming Everton FC, the first football club in the city, Everton FC, the first league champions at Anfield, in case you've forgotten. A few things there you know, to, uh, to just reinforce that point home again, because we've got a tremendous heritage. You know, we, we, we still hold the record for the top league goal scorer, Dixie Dean, 60 goals. So I think we've really, really got to, to push it more, because I think you know, for the younger fan under 30, you know, the Premier League fan outside of the Merseyside, Everton will be coming in the relevant, and that really worries me. Just on that point, just just on that point, hopefully that changes with Bramley Mordoch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree, Max. I think Bramley Mordoch is vital for the development of the club. And when you think when cruise ships are coming in, and the first thing they see on the walls of front before they get to you know, our library buildings is the new Everton Stadium. So, I, yeah, I think that's vital for the club. And in terms of the next step forward, that has to happen regardless of anything else. No, no, in the regs, they'll probably build a big red wall in front of it or something like that, so people, so people can stop it with Henderson's great pastas all over it. Um, what, what do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I think, you know, you just mentioned his name there, Dixie Dean, you know, the greatest ever footballer, I think, in the, this country has ever seen. Um, and, you know, proud Evertonian, he was one of ours. So I think things like that and, you know, the sides of the 60s, of the 80s, etc. But like Max said, you know, we've we've got to win something. I think we've got to win something and, you know, we can't keep living in our past all the time. It's it's about the blend of, I think you can be almost even prouder of our history in a sense when you feel proud of the current, of the yeah, current team. Sure. And, and, and unfortunately, it just doesn't feel like that at the moment. Um, there's almost a bit of a resentment towards that this lot aren't, aren't like them. They don't get it. They don't realise how much of a privilege and an honour it is, it is to, to be at this club and I think we need to see you know what we do have is Carlo Ancelotti you know I, I say this every time we do a podcast we've got Carlo Ancelotti as our manager and we've got Bramley Moore Stadium on the horizon 
So what we do in the next couple of seasons is enormous. You know, it's it's probably the biggest phase that the football club's seen, certainly in the recent decades. You know, if, if we get things right, we get the backing of the board, they give Ancelotti the money to spend things. We can start, you know, challenging for silverware again. We can get ourselves back in Europe and, and really create a team um, and, and a sort of, you know, buzz around Everton again to, to move into the new ground in what shouldn't be too many years off. So, yeah, I know I've gone a really long way around the answer, but yeah, we need to win stuff and, and get more of a presence back in the city. But like to see it on current, you know, like more modern success as well. And obviously it's been a long time since we've had a... Yeah. Yeah, Jack Brentway's going to be on murals <laughs> all over. Holgate, Brantway, you know, yeah. Richarlison, because he's going to be a 10-year deal in a few weeks. It's going to be great. Yeah, Janet Brown, which played painted on St. George's Hall or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who cares? He's only played three games. He's going to be in the business. But just, I, I, I think for me, it's, it's about getting the balance right in it. Because like you said, you, you don't want false idols, you know. You don't want to get a sort of Richarlison on the side of somewhere when he, when he could leave or something like that. And, you know, Given what they're doing in Liverpool at the moment, if, if Jordan Anderson or Salah or Manny or any of them left tomorrow, they'd all still be legends, wouldn't they? They'd all still be fine to have those lads around the city. So I think it's about getting that balance right between finding people who are relevant now and people who, who did it in the past, Sarah. Can we get, is it Paul Curtis artwork? Can we get him to do a Leighton Baines one now? I feel like he's done 10 <laughs> years, yeah. 14, you know, obviously way over a decade, 13, 14 years. He's got. He can't do any wrong now. He's not going to do anything that's going to make us go. Now we'll take that off him. So let's get a Leighton yeah. Baines mural. He deserves it. Yeah, I want yeah. a Leighton Baines. I want a Leighton Baines one on a, a, like a dirty indie place in town, like exactly. Fold <laughs> Street Coffee or something like. Yeah, or like heebie-jeebies or something like that. You know, just just outside, Paul. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of what, what, what you and Sarah were saying. Can't we, can't we uh, rename Bowl Street as Leighton Bain Street? You know, it's, it's, it's the coolest street in the city centre, isn't it? Yeah, get, get on to uh, Joe Anderson about that, yeah. So, sorry, Max, you were going to make a point as well, mate. Well, I was going to say that, um, didn't we have, we have the uh, the spray painting of Phil Jagielka next to the uh, the Everton Chili tribute, didn't we? But, oh, that's class, yeah. That, that's so, still there, yeah. isn't it? Still here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think in, in that regard, Leighton Baines is, is fully justified of it to have, you know, a little something around the ground, yeah. Yeah, this is where it starts, you know, Leighton Baines outside. <laughs> this is where the movement begins, I'm telling you now. 100,000 100, petition signatures in a, in a month's time, that's it. Uh, but no, we are, we are out of time today, yeah, chats about everything from Leighton Baines, rice cooking, uh, all sorts there. <laughs> thanks very much to Sarah, to Paul and to Max. That's been your weekly show here on the Blue Room. Just a reminder, we are sponsored by Pitch Sport as well. Uh, they've got all loads of great stuff throughout the season. Uh, lots of ratings from Everton's plays at the weekend aren't particularly good. Uh, go out there and give your ratings. I've done a fun time video for them as well, so do go and check that out. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much to the guys. We'll speak to you again very soon. Uh, understandably, then we'll answer some of your questions as well. Uh, you listen to the Blue Room. We'll be right back. The dark web can be like a restaurant for identity thieves. Hi, ready to order? I'll have the driver's license number. Great, that comes with a home address or a birth date. Ooh, both, please. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Identity theft protection starts here. Sports Social Podcast Network.